Uh, if you have a Bible, and I hope you do, if you, and your, uh, your journal notebooks, if you're new around here, we're, we're going through a sermon series on the book of 2 Timothy. And one of the things we do is as we walk through books of the Bible, we, we give these little journals, and they're on the ends of the rows, and you can just walk with it um, with us and keep that. That's a gift for you from us, all right? So we're in 2 Timothy chapter 1. Did you know that 90% of teenagers, 90% of teenagers say that they have been changed in some way by peer pressure, that the cultural norms that they live in, it's, it's one of the most powerful forces in their life. Now, if you just think it's teenagers, you're, you're wrong. Um, there's actually an excellent book uh, called The World According to Star Wars. Uh, it's a marketing book, actually, and it's written by a Harvard professor, and he talks about how Star Wars became popular. He, he says most people thought Star Wars would bomb. I don't know if you knew this or not, but they only played it in a select few theaters because they didn't think it would do well at all. Well, they were wrong. The critics were wrong. It, it went crazy. And the reason why it went crazy is because of peer pressure. It was because cultural norms took over and people um, just had to have this. They started talking about it. Social scientists tell us that the mob mentality actually works. One study that I was reading recently said that you can take the top 100 songs and you can flip them upside down put number 100 at number one, and if you gave it to a group of people and asked them to list the songs from best to worst, they would take the number 100 song that you put number one, and they would tell you that it's the best song. Over and over again, we see this. We know that cultural peer pressure works. By the way, we, we all know this, so you can stop texting me. We know that Android is better than Apple, okay? We get it, but we all have Apple because it's Apple, so we're not going to switch to Android. So you might as well conform to us, get the little blue text message, or we're going to stop talking to you. All right? The reason why this is true is because we all want to be known and we want to be accepted. We want to be in the crowd, don't we? Even if you say you don't, research proves that you do. You just might cover it up differently. And by the way, this is not all bad. It's not all bad. It's not a matter of conforming that matters because we all conform. It's do you conform to the right things? I don't know if you know this, Tim Keller, pastor in New York City, he's famous for talking about this. He says we're all slaves to our own culture, and many of us don't even know it. He says that's why God is so important, because God transcends culture. So if you root your life into the scriptures, it actually is something deeper and more profound than what culture can do, because it's going to continue to shift. So here's where we're going today. Timothy is really, really struggling. His world is messed up. It's falling apart around him. And he's on the edge of a cliff, and he's about to give in. Paul is writing to him to show him that he doesn't need to panic. Timothy feels like so many of us do right now. It's starting to cost him a lot to be the pastor of the church in Ephesus. You can read into this because Paul keeps telling him, don't be ashamed. Keep going. You're going to be okay. Well, we know that the history around Timothy is that things are falling apart. And it's really hard in this moment, and the cultural peer pressure is mounting up to the point in which Timothy thinks it's going to, it's going to fall apart, and he either needs to conform or walk away. Here's, here's how I would say it. Timothy's scared. He's really scared. Maybe that's where a lot of you are today, too. Culture's shifting. You're wondering, is it even worth it anymore? Like Paul, I want to tell you that it's worth it. I want to tell you just hang in there. Yes, it's hard. Okay, it was hard for them, and it's hard for you, but it's worth it. Let me show it to you. Look at this. We're going to jump in in verse 8. You ready? Here's what it says. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord. Again, Paul tells him that because, well, he's ashamed. 
You wouldn't have to remind somebody not to be ashamed if you weren't ashamed. Nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began, and which now has been manifest through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, for which I was appointed a preacher and apostle and teacher, which is why I suffer as I do. But I'm not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I'm convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. Let me pray for us. Father, God, I, I, I feel the weightiness of what Paul is saying, and I understand where Timothy is. I understand how hard it is to, to live this life following you because, honestly, well, the world around us just feels so appetizing. So, Father, I pray that you would give us words that we need to hear to continue to walk with you, even as things get difficult. Would you do that now in Jesus' name? Amen. All right, are you ready? Verse 8, let's break this down. Look at it again. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering. For the gospel by the power of God. Listen, shame is a real thing. Cultural pressure of the Roman Empire, it was real. They were executing Christians all the time. If you're anything like me and you're a bit of a history nerd, you've probably heard of this, this time when the Emperor Nero decided he was going to burn down Rome. Anybody? You remember this history class? Yeah, there you go. Uh, Nero, Nero had lost his mind. Nero decided it was a good thing to burn down Rome, and actually history says 10 of the 14 precincts in Rome were completely destroyed, and it went on for six days. He did this because he wanted to be credited as the person that rebuilt Rome. Well, if you know anything, most people aren't too jazzed about their houses getting burned down. So the, the pressure got up, his uh, popularity ratings went down, and the only thing he could do at the time was blame this on the Christians, the outcast community. Matter of fact, this was A.D. 64. You know why that's fascinating? It's the same exact year that this book was written. So you know that things are getting bad. Paul is walking around. He's been imprisoned by Nero because the pressure is so high at this point that Nero has to blame it on other people. He blames it on the Christians. And now the populace says, okay, good. You can take care of them because they're obviously the ones that did it. Well, keep that in mind because you have to understand that Timothy is in a cultural hub called Ephesus, and he is the pastor there. Okay, so now you're in a province in the Roman Empire. The Roman Empire is not super happy about you, and you're trying to pastor a church there. Timothy is scared to death. Think about it, y'all. It's hard. It's hard. And look, people were trying to kill them for his faith. I know, I know that maybe people aren't trying to kill you for your faith, but they were him. And there were literally government-sanctioned witch hunts out there for people like Timothy. Can you imagine how hard that would be? And his mentor, the one who had called him into the ministry, he's sitting in prison awaiting his execution. The conformity to cultural pressure was at a level 10. He was at his boiling price uh, point, and Paul's advice is, don't be ashamed of the gospel. It's worth it. It's worth it. I'm going to show you this in just a second, but let me, let me just remind you that it's hard to be a Christian today, too. Now, I hear people tell me all the time, yeah, but nobody's trying to kill me for my faith. Like, I get that, but that doesn't mean that your suffering is any less real. It doesn't mean what you're going through is any less real. 
Maybe you're sitting here today or you're watching online and you're in a family that the cultural pressure of your family is so divided because one spouse believes in Jesus and wants to go to church and the other one doesn't. And you're sitting here in a divided worldview and you're thinking, I don't even know how to live this life. Y'all, that's real and that's really hard. I know some of you have a, have a job where you have a boss that continues to ask you to push the moral, cultural lines because they just want you to fabricate a few things in order to make this stuff work. I, I Listen, and, and you sit behind, uh, do, do I lean into my calling as a Christian or do I give into my morality for my job? You're stuck between your faith and a job. That's hard. And honestly, I know some of you are struggling even with the cultural lines of morality today. You don't know if we're progressing or if you're just wrong. So you're sitting there and you're wondering, is, is what I'm living for worth it? And that's, that's hard. See, just because your life isn't being threatened doesn't mean that the Christian life isn't hard. The suffering that you are going through is real, just like the suffering that Paul and Timothy were, was going through is real. So Paul tells Timothy, don't be ashamed of the gospel and check it out. Look at verse 8 again. I want to walk through this with you. Therefore, he says, don't be ashamed of the testimony, that's the gospel, about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. Did you notice why Paul tells Timothy not to be ashamed? He says, therefore. Now, let me connect this for you because Paul is the master at the longest run-on sentences in the history of the world. So the whole chapter is one, run, one big run-on sentence. And, and it connects back to the therefore, if you will, always ask what the therefore is there for. It points back. It points back to verses 6 and 7. We looked at this last week. Look what it says. Paul tells Timothy, for this reason, for this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the gospel. God has given Timothy some pretty amazing gifts, but it seems as if the flame of his gifts are burning out. It seems like the pressure is starting to get him to him, like he needed to be reminded that the one who created the universe, the one who called him to this hard work, is the one who gave him those gifts. But remember last week I told you that fan into flame, it's in the active present tense, which means you got to continue to work on it. That's what he's telling him, you got to continue to go. It means that it's our job to put fuel on the fire of the gifts that God gave us, or the cultural pressure will mount up, and the zeal that we have for Jesus will burn out. How many of you know people like this? Like they started off on fire for Jesus. They burned their 90s rap CDs. They kissed dating goodbye, right? They're the only people I know that didn't think the halftime show last week was good. <laughs> Listen, it was good, by the way. <laughs> and now they're struggling if they even believe in Jesus anymore. Guys, that's the power of cultural conformity. That's what happened. Like well-meaning people who fell in love with Jesus just stopped because they were told, just pray a prayer and move on. And Paul is saying, no, you got to continue to dig in and go deeper. By the way, Christianity has its own version of this too. It's called the prosperity gospel. It over-promises and under-delivers. So people come with such zeal because they need it. They they need hope in their life. And they walk into a building like this and somebody promises them, hey, look, if you just follow Jesus, it's all going to work out. That sounds good until you read passages like this where Paul says, hey, I'm sitting in prison about to die. You follow a guy who died. 
and suffering's real. Like, did you catch what Paul tells Timothy? Share in my suffering. Man, I hate to be the one who breaks this to you, but the gospel's hard. This world is hard. It's not easy, and listen, following Jesus doesn't always make your life easier either. Like, I can promise you, <laughs> I can make a whole heck of a lot more money selling insurance and not have any of the problems that I have in my life. But you know what? It's worth it. My calling is worth it. Carrying the emotional weight of your life is worth it. I love it. I love my job, and I get to do it, and that doesn't mean it's not hard. It just means that it's worth it. And that's the point that Paul wanted to tell Timothy. Listen, the Christian life is hard, but it is worth it. And sometimes doing the hard thing makes a whole lot more sense. Timothy needed to continue to put fuel on the fire of his flame or his calling so that he could live in this world without conforming to the cultural pressures of the day. So I want to be real practical because I think that this connects with all of us. Let me give you some practical ways that we need to do this too. Here's letter A. Surround yourself with the right community. Surround yourself with the right community. Look, we're going to conform to something. Again, we might as well conform to the gospel because we're going to conform to some kind of culture. Look at verse 8 one more time, and let's break this down. Look at it again. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share, there it is, that's community, in the suffering for the gospel by the power of God. It's subtle, but did you notice who imprisoned Paul? This changes everything. Think about it. Look, look at it. Did Nero imprison Paul? No. God did. Right? I'm his prisoner. I'm Jesus' prisoner, not Nero's prisoner. You see, Paul knew whom he served. And because he knew whom he served, he knew ultimately who was in control of his suffering. And that's what gave him courage to keep going because he could connect his suffering back to the character of God. Right now, I'm, um, I'm training for a marathon. And it can be brutal. Like yesterday, I had to run 18 miles. The day before, I had to run 10. And they're, they're brutal miles. And, and there are moments in this training program that I just can't keep going. You can ask Allison. There, last week, I had to do this awful run. And uh, I had to call her. I'm like, I need you to pick me up. I can't finish. Half the time, it's so hard that I call some friends who can meet me along the way and run a couple miles with me. So two weeks ago, I had to do this 20-mile run. And it was, again, brutal. And I called my friend Vince. And I said, hey, man, I need you to run the second half of this with me because there's no way I'm going to finish. So I left the church, I ran a 10-mile loop, and he met me at the church to run the second 10 miles. And do you know what got me through that was looking to my left or my right and seeing another friend who was willing to encourage me along the way. By the way, that's what it means to have the right community. Because I'm convinced that life doesn't get any easier when you do it together but when you do it together, it gets a whole lot more encouraging. And having the right community around you is a community that goes into the same battle with you and walks through life together. That's what it means to be in Christian community. That's why it matters so much. Because if you're in community, and all of us can have any sort of community, but if you're in a community that's pushing you away from your worldview, that's not the right community, right? So if Vince was to say, hey, I'm going to run in the opposite direction, that doesn't help me at all. It's because we're running side by side that helps. So he runs side by side with me, and we need people that can do the same thing, just like Paul needed Timothy to run side by side with him, and Timothy needed Paul. By the way, the way we do that around here is small groups. Small groups is just this form of community that we live life together, and we walk side by side together. Marriage. Marriage is so much easier 
because Allison and I are committed to doing the same work together. Parenting too. Parenting works easier because we're doing it together. Honestly, this church, this church through some of the most difficult times in American history has been easier because I know that there are people in this church that are just as committed to seeing a church in Alpharetta thrive and build God's kingdom as we are. You get, you get the point? When you run your race and you run it together, you go further and you go stronger. That's why we need community. So Timothy is struggling, he's suffering, and he's vulnerable. And yet, Paul looks at him and he says, keep running the race. Keep going. Here's letter B. You have to remind yourself that God's in control. Again, notice, notice that Paul was the one that gave Timothy and Paul the gifts. And God is the same one who imprisoned them. See, this is super important because knowing the character of God is what allows you to know that he's in control. God proved his love for you by the cross. So if you're suffering right now, listen, there has to be a good reason for it. A good God who would suffer in your place is not a God who would make you suffer for no reason. Let, let me break it down like this. It's like trying to tell your five-year-old that as you walk into the surgical appointment that this doctor is going to cut you and hurt you. Your five-year-old has no clue what that means, right? But they look at you, and, and, and you're looking at a doctor, and you're trying to explain to this sweet little innocent kid, hey, I, I'm sorry, but you're going to be hurt for a long time. The chemotherapy is going to hurt you, and yet it's there to save your life. For, for many of us, we, we, we eat that as parents because we know that the end result is actually helping them. Now, let me just ask you this. If you're infinitely smarter than your five-year-old, and there's good reasons for the suffering that they might have to go through, is it not possible that God might have good reasons for the suffering that you're going through and you just, you cannot comprehend it at the moment? Is it not possible that God knows exactly what he's doing? And the reason why your five-year-old trusts you is because they trust your character and the reason why you trust God is because you trust his character? See, for Timothy, the opposite of being ashamed is having courage. It's having courage and the only way that that was possible was to remember that every good gift was ultimately from God and he is in control and that God had already proved his love to them. Guys, the same thing's true for us. If you lean into the character of God, then you can get through anything. But here's the deal, is what you think about God will determine how you react whenever things get bad. I, 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 this is one of my favorite things that I, I lean into all the time. You can write it down. It's rarely easy to be courageous, but it's always worth it. And I think that's what Timothy needed to know. Based on the character of God, listen, it is worth it. Keep going. And now what we have is we have the advantage of perspective, right? 2,000 years later, we can see that it was worth it, that God was building his kingdom, and he was using Timothy. My, the dude's name is written in the Bible. Just keep going. Last thing I want you to notice, I want you to notice, again, the opposite of being ashamed. He says it right here. It's but share in the suffering for the gospel by the power of God. Again, I'm going to be honest with you. Following Jesus is not easy. Following Jesus will cost you something, and it might cost you like it costs Paul, or it might not, but it will cost you something. It might cost you missing out on some of the stuff and having to say no to things so you can't keep up with the Joneses. But here's the promise. Here's the promise. If you are willing to follow Jesus, let me go to the next slide. If you're willing to follow Jesus, God will give you access to a resource that the non-believing world does not have. He will give you access to the power of God. Think about that. The same power that rose Jesus from the dead, Paul is saying, lives inside of you. 
It's the same power that gives you joy in this world in any circumstances. And that might not seem like a big deal when everything's going well. But I'm just telling you, I've watched it happen. When people suffer and they don't have the power of God inside of them versus when they suffer and they do have the power of God inside of them, it's a totally different thing. You have a resource of untapped power. And it's God himself living inside of you. And Paul says, don't be ashamed of the gospel. Culture is going to try to move you and pull you, but you can stand firm. By the way, that word power there, it's the word dynamin, which is where we get the word dynamite from. Think about it. There's multiple things you can go dynamite, but one, one of them is you can throw a firecracker in the air, and it'll explode, and it'll make a big splash, and it's gone in two seconds. Or you can dig it into the ground in the side of a mountain. You can blow something up, and you can make an impact that you might not be able to experience for like miles to see, and yet it makes a permanent dent in the world. You have a resource that can make a permanent dent in the world, and when God put his spirit inside of you, that power was meant not to make some big, impressive splash that will go away in 30 seconds. It was meant to make a lasting impact. The point is this, is the power of the spirit, the power of the spirit is dug down deep into your life, and it is brought forth through discipleship, through leaning into God. And as we do that, you might not be a mile high, but your life will be rooted so deeply that your impact will be 10,000 times greater. Again, that's what Paul told Timothy. Think about it. Hey, Timothy, your little church in Ephesus, you, you might think that it's not worth it, but for thousands of years, people are going to read about you. And the impact that that's going to make because you stood firm can actually change people's eternity. See, don't believe the lie that it's better to make some big splash that goes nowhere. No, God wants you to make a lasting impact, and that's why he put this power of the Holy Spirit inside of you to make a dent in the world, one that will last. See, when you came to faith, you got all of the Holy Spirit, all of it, 100% of it. That's never been in question. Every bit of God's power is inside of you just like it was in Paul and Timothy. But just because you got all the Holy Spirit, listen to me, doesn't mean that he got all of you. That's what this fan into flame thing means. This is really important. All the way through the Bible, we see this. The moment that you became a Christ follower is the moment that you got God's spirit. He literally is inside of you, and now he fills you every single time that you fan into flame these gifts that he has given you. If you want to unleash this power, this dynamite inside of you, Paul's saying keep fanning it into flame. And as you do that, you will boldly have power to accomplish anything, but it's only whenever you proclaim or fan into flame this gift that he's given you. It's the most unbelievable resource at your disposal. Let me, let me try to give it to you theologically. Write this down. There's one spirit given at conversion. You got all of it. There's many fillings of his power, of his spirit, every time you fan into flame the gifts that he has given you by walking in obedience to your calling as a Christ follower. I told you this last week. This is why every single time you say yes to Jesus and no to sin, it gets easier to say yes to Jesus and no to sin as you walk with him. Look at verse 9. Here's why we can stand firm. Who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began, and which now has been manifest through the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. I swear, Paul writes an entire dissertation in one clause. Like, we could, we could spend weeks on this. 
But watch this. You see how that power of the gospel, how powerful it is? Let, let me break it down for you, all right? It's so awesome when you see it. Number one, the gospel secures. The gospel is secure because it's by grace. You see that? He gave us this by grace. Look at it, verse 9 again. Who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. Listen, you didn't earn the gospel. God's love was given to you by grace before the ages began, before the world was ever created, God set his affections on you. That's why it's so powerful. You never, ever, ever, ever have to wonder how God feels about you. If you're in Christ, this, this verse right here shows you that he fully and accepts you and loves you without any condition. And every other religion in the world, every other religion in the world, says you have to earn the affections of God. And then it never gives you any objective way to do it. I, I remember being in the Middle East and asking some guys, like, how do you know that God loves you? And their response is, only Allah knows. Do you know how troubling it is to live like this? How do you know that God loves you? Before the ages began, he set his affections on you. He gave you an objective standard. The gospel says that you are good enough because the perfect savior of this world put on flesh and he took your punishment in himself. That's the picture. The picture is that Jesus died so that you could be received by God. He got everything you deserved so that you could get everything he deserved. The theological word for this is called penal substitutionary atonement. It's really simple. Jesus took your penalty, your legal penalty, because according to God's law, we broke it. He became our substitute by living in our place when he went to the cross. He did it so that you wouldn't have to, which means that he made atonement or he made it right so that God when he sees us, he sees Christ's perfect righteousness in us. Do you know that? Do you know that if you're in Christ the way that God sees you? He sees you as a son or a daughter of the king. He sees you as righteous. Like he, there's not a moment in his life where he looks at you and he thinks about your flaws or your hurts or your pains or your mistakes. God accepts you just as you are. Listen, you are more than the sum total of your mistakes. You are a child of the king, bought at a price, sealed by the spirit of God inside of you. See, here's the deal. Religious people always find God useful. And they will use God as long as they can get anything out of him. But the moment he stops being useful, they walk away. Gospel people find God beautiful. And when you find God beautiful, you can walk through anything. Because the beauty of the gospel is in this verse. It's in that one word, grace. Grace is what makes Christianity different. Grace is what makes it beautiful. And it's so simple and yet so profound. The ultimate act of humility. And the only way you can receive God's grace is to simply say that you need it. That's all you have to do. See, but there's something so secure in a salvation that you didn't have to earn. There's something so secure in this act of dependence on God's grace. Think about it. God's grace is a reminder of God's character, right? And this is exactly what Timothy needed. He needed to know that, that God loves to give good gifts to his children. And the moment that he remembered that, it's the moment that he could go back to knowing who God is, and that's, that's what was able to get him through anything. Listen, I, I've said this to you a million times. There's nothing you've ever done to make God love you any more and nothing you could ever do to make God love you any less because it's not dependent upon what you do it's dependent upon what he did, and that makes all the difference. Here's number two. 
The gospel makes eternity a reality. Look at verse 10. And which now has been manifest through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. That word manifested there, it can actually be translated as revealed or made clear. He's telling you that the gospel makes eternity clear. See, that means something. That means that your eternity wasn't a reaction to your circumstances. I know this can get a little into the weeds, but, but listen, because I think this matters so much. Your eternity was always God's plan A. Before God ever created anything, it was his plan that Jesus would come and be the savior to abolish death and bring immortality to light through the gospel. If you are a Christ follower, listen to me, that just means that death is a graduation into a new reality. If you're a Christian, that, just, that, that means that this life is the worst it will ever be for you. Because of the appearance of Jesus, we know more about immortality than ever before. Here's what that means. That means the gospel is not only meant to be your justification. It's not meant to just be your salvation. It's meant to be your daily hope. Because of Jesus, this life isn't all that there is. Because of Jesus, we know that God's kingdom is being revealed and it's being built through his church. Because of Jesus, we know that he rose from the dead and therefore we will rise from the dead too. We know that eternity exists and it's not something you have to be uncertain about. That's the point. When you're certain about what God has done for you, that changes everything. And I think that that's the central point of what Paul wanted Timothy to know. Hey, you don't have to be ashamed. You don't have to walk away. You can suffer well because reality is, is that Jesus has already proved that this life is just a stepping stone into eternity with him. Where, Revelation 21, where he'll wipe away every tear from your eyes and death will be no more. He will be your God and you will be his people. Like J.R.R. Tolkien famously said, God is going to make all the sad things become untrue. Look, there's going to be a day when you're going to face this hard reality. And just like me, sometimes you just scratch your head and wonder, God, why did you do it this way? But the reality is, is you can just sit back and wonder, sit back in awe, sit back and worship, because like Paul said, look, he did this to bring to light the gospel, to show you immortality exists, to show you that one day you will stand before him. And that should give you the most confidence ever. I, one of the greatest passages in all scripture, let me just read to you, 1 Corinthians 15. Look at what it says. Paul tells you this. He says, I tell you this, brothers. Flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will rise imperishable, and we shall be changed. For the perishable body must put on the imperishable, and the mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on the immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us victory through Christ Jesus our Lord. I can't think of anything that will give you more confidence than this. When Jesus put on flesh to live your life and die your death, nothing else mattered because he proved his love for you by the cross. And he proved his power over death by the resurrection. That's Paul's big encouragement to Timothy. 
Keep going, Timothy, because obviously you're struggling and you need to be reminded of the gospel. It's the same formula, by the way, when you put it all together. Listen, here it is. God's grace. God's grace is something that existed before time began, which means it's free. God's grace is accessible to anybody that wants it. That means that Jesus bought your life and he brought immortality to life, to light through the gospel. He literally made it visible for you. Listen, through Jesus, you and I can experience and we can see life like never before. I love the way John said it. Jesus came to bring life and life to the fullest, which means you don't have to wait until you die to have it. You can have it right now. Let me show you Paul's perspective because this is the end of this section, and, and it's really cool when you break it down. Verse 11, for which I was appointed, Paul says, a preacher, an apostle, and a teacher, which is why I suffer as I do, but I'm not ashamed. For I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. Let me end by showing you Paul's perspective. Paul knew. Paul knew that everything that he had was a gift from God, and he was called to do it. Look at verse 11 again. He was appointed a preacher. He was appointed an apostle and a teacher. That word appointed there, it means something like to make a deposit or to make to do. Paul is saying that God had called him to do this. He didn't choose to do it. And, and that actually gave him hope. It means that what he was doing in this world was a big deal because God had appointed him to do it. So he felt a sense of responsibility to God's calling on his life. I don't know if you know this or not, but every single person in this room, everybody listening to my voice, has a unique calling and giftings from God. Your personality is not the way that it is because you just were formed by nurture and nature that way. No, you're that way because God had created you and designed you that way. One of my favorite TV shows is Seinfeld. He tells this joke in one of his episodes. He says, the only thing that people hate worse than public speaking, all right, I'm sorry, the only people that hate, see, you messed up the line. All right, let me, let me start over. You didn't hear that. The only thing people hate worse than dying is public speaking. So he says, the next time you go to a funeral, the guy doing the eulogy would rather be in the casket than actually speaking from the stage. You know why that's funny to me? Because I love public speaking. I absolutely love it. Like, I get jazzed about getting up here, preparing all week long, taking one of the most complicated verses of Scripture, breaking it down to the point in which you can understand it, and put it, put it in a part of your life. And I realize that most of you would rather have a colonoscopy than do this. That's why I love my job, because I was appointed to do it. Now, some of you, some of you, like, teach kids in school. Some of you are stay-at-home moms. Other of you do accounting. There's some of you that would rather hide in your basement all day long and do IT work and never see a soul. I would rather watch paint dry than do any of those jobs. And yet you do them because you're called to do them. Here's where this changed for me. God is building and architecting a kingdom. Matter of fact, he, it's where heaven and earth collide is right here where his church rises up. That, that means that your life matters so much because God is using the raw materials in this world and in your personalities to build something together, to build something beautiful. That means if everybody was like me, we couldn't build God's kingdom. So God needs people doing all different types of work, all different skill sets, leveraging their gifts to build specific spheres of life. Your job is not a second-class job. And the sooner you get that God has appointed you to do that is the sooner that you will realize 
that you're not just doing something to waste space, but God has given you a lot in life, and it matters so much. We need, God needs the best version of you so that he can build the world the way that it was always supposed to be. Look at the three things that Paul said again. Paul says that he was an, a preacher, apostle, and a teacher. I would argue that the same substance to that calling is the same substance to our callings too. It's just our vocations are different. So a preacher, that word literally means herald. It's the person that stands up, unrolls the scroll, and tells, hear ye, hear you, here's what the king says. It's like, don't, you ever heard the phrase, don't shoot the messenger? That's what a herald is. That's what a preacher is. The job of the preacher is to stand up and tell you what the king said. I'm just telling you, I think that every single Christ follower on the planet has been commissioned by God, appointed by God with a message and enlisted to go tell that message to everybody that they know. That word apostle, the little a, apostle, simply means a missionary. That's all it is. And God has given every one of us a mission field, hasn't he? Every single person in here has influence over a certain sphere of life. Maybe if you're a coach and you're coaching your kids' teams, the most strategic thing you can do is go be with those parents and those kids. By the way, can I confess, I was thinking about this, I feel like I owe every single parent an apology, everyone, because I want to tell you a little dirty secret about me. I've been judging you for years. Let me tell you how. I, I, I used to think, I can't believe anybody let their kids watch an iPad in the car, and then we went on our first road trip. I'm sorry. Or my kids would never do that in Target, right? That, we had the most well-behaved kids. Now I just wear all black and pull my hat down real low and try to avoid you because we do the same thing. The biggest one for me was sports. Oh, I used to get so mad at you. Matt Fry, I owe you an apology. I used to get so mad at you, bro. Like, I can't believe you would miss my thing for your stuff. My, my thing is so important. Well, now I got three kids all playing sports at the same time. So sometimes I'm like, hey, you want to have lunch together? Yeah, let's schedule it six months from now because we literally have something every day of the week. And then I went to Kenya this year, and my daughter signed me up to coach her lacrosse team while I was gone, little jerk, like, and told me. She called me and informed me. Hey, by, by the way, Daddy, you're now the coach of my lacrosse team. Great. I have no clue what lacrosse is but we're going to figure it out. Here, here's one of the things I've learned. It, time tends to season you. It really does, and help you grow in empathy and wisdom. You want to know where it all shifted for me? This is, this is real. I had to stop seeing church as an event that I attend and a community that we are building together. You know why that matters so much? Because maybe, just maybe, you out there matters so much more if you take it and act like you're a missionary. If you see that your spheres of life matter, if you leverage God's calling in your time as a missionary in your neighborhoods, in your city, and everywhere that you go, God has appointed you to be a missionary. Yes, Sunday mornings matter. They will always matter. They're the most important thing we do because we gather together to hear God's word together and God shows up. But it's meant to equip us to go spend the rest of the week doing what we do and taking the gospel to the ends of the earth. So you might, you might go to the ends of the earth like Grace did, or you might just need to go to your cul-de-sac, but every single person is called. And the last one is a teacher. You know what the difference between a teacher and a preacher is? A preacher is a herald. A teacher takes that message and makes it understandable to the people around you. They're actually two different callings. Let me just be negative for a second. I think most of us, if we're going to struggle with any of these, it's going to be this one. Because we haven't taken the time to be taught first. 
Leaders have to be followers before they can be leaders. That means that we need to find somebody and we need to be willing to be taught by them. Someone has to take the scriptures and make them knowable. I think that that's my job, by the way. I, I, I've kind of tried to live in this calling of, that's why I don't get up here and do these evangelistic messages, because that's just not what God called me to do. My job is to take a unique, hard passage of scripture and make it knowable to you so that you can go make it knowable to other people. God has appointed you to be a teacher. But you got to take discipleship seriously, and then you need to go tell the world. Teach your kids. Teach your neighbors. Teach whoever will listen. I think Paul needed to remind Timothy that he was called to these things too. He needed to remind him of this. You can write this down. Every gift that you have is given to be used to build God's kingdom. Listen, your life has purpose. You're not just filling a space. You're building a kingdom. Which leads us to our last verse, verse 12. Which is why I suffer, Paul says, as I do. But I'm not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed. And I'm convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. Here it is. If you don't get the whom you serve correct, you will always get the what you do wrong. Paul suffered well because he knew whom he believed, not what he believed. And knowing whom you believe is what will give you the courage to not be ashamed. Listen, again, I'm not going to lie to you. The Christian life is hard. It's not all unicorns and rainbows. I mean, if you're looking for a a religion that's always going to make you happy, encourage you, and pat you on the back, you pick the wrong one. You follow a guy who was suffered and killed and said that, hey, if you follow me, the same thing's going to happen. And you're listening to another guy who was beheaded for his faith, telling another guy who suffered well. If you want to make everybody happy all the time, go sell ice cream. Nobody ever gets mad at the ice cream man. But if you want to follow Jesus, I'm just telling you, it's worth it. Here's why it's worth it. It's worth it because we don't follow Jesus because it makes our life better. We follow Jesus because he's better than life. And that's what Paul wanted him to know. If you get anything from today, it's this. Knowing whom you believe is going to give you the courage to not be ashamed of the gospel. You remember in verse 8 where Paul says, Timothy, don't be ashamed. And then in verse 12, he says, and here's how you're not ashamed. Know whom you believe. Let me, let me try to break it down for you. All right? Mormons know what they believe. But they get the whom they believe wrong, which means the whole thing's wrong. Let me give you another example. You might believe with all of your heart that you can fly. And if you jump out of an airplane, you got the what you believe right, but gravity takes over. You hear what I'm saying? Listen, belief and faith, they don't really matter. It's the object of your belief and faith that matters. So let me land this plane, a little pun intended there. Life's going to throw a ton of pressure at you to conform to this world and walk away from Jesus. But if you know whom you believe, and you know that he will guard your life and give you immortality, if you know that your life has purpose and God has called you to this thing, whatever you're doing, then nothing else matters. I think that's Paul's encouragement. Guys, Jesus died and rose from the dead, and he promised eternal life. He promised you his kingdom. He has deposited in your life his spirit, and he has adopted you. And he bought you at a cost. And he says, I will guard you until that day. And I will give you the thing that is entrusted to you. You notice over and over and over again, Paul tells Timothy, fan into flame these things, not because that you do it, but because God is going to. Because God is going to save you. God is going to keep you. God is going to secure your life.
And now he's commissioned you to live differently in this world, to build his kingdom. The mission is far too urgent. And the job is far too great not to take it seriously. See, at the end of the day, I think Paul's main point is you can conform. You will conform. You can conform to Rome or you can conform to Jesus. One of them has short-term gain, but the other one, the other one has long-term benefits. And he says, just keep going. I can't think of a better word for all of us right now. The world's crazy, guys. It's hard. Every day I listen to like wars and crazy stuff going on and and it's like, Paul's just like, just keep going. Just keep going. Because God is building his kingdom. And if we know anything through history, it's that he will build his church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Never have. In 2,000 years, he keeps building his church. And he keeps building his people too. So just keep going.